Hello, everybody. My name is Travis Shaddix. I'm a past soil scientist and past turf grass scientist and retired and all those fun things. I used to sort of dabble in turf grass and work on soils and things, and now I'm a stay-at-home dad and take care of the kids and all that fun stuff. So um, I thought I would use this channel as an opportunity to go back through some of the articles that I've amassed over the years and um, try to use uh, this opportunity to explain those articles, walk through, say, one article um, on a topic, and um, maybe explain how to find them on the internet, how to read through them, pull out information that may be useful to you. And at the end of the day, I'm hoping to just take one article and provide you one or two key points from that article that you can take back to your business and uh, be more efficient or make more money or uh, be less impactful to the environment or in some way basically just be more efficient and use the information that scientists have uh, worked on and, and, and built and published. So oftentimes I think there's a, a missing link between scientists who are publishing all this work and the actual practitioners like yourself or homeowners who uh, might find that information quite useful. So um, that's kind of what I'm hoping to, to use this channel for. So today we're going to be talking about um, one article uh, by an author named Lindsay who was uh, one of the world's you know, most prolific uh, scientists on soil iron. Uh, Lindsay published a lot of articles on iron, and uh, we're going to be on over one of the papers that Lindsay published, uh, I believe it was in 1982, and it's sort of a grouping of other articles that Lindsay published throughout the years. So, um, so um, having said that, let's first show you how I go about even finding these articles, or let's say you know, you have a question about some fertilizer you're applying and it has iron and you're asking yourself, is this even useful or is nitrogen useful or why am I using this or whatever the case might be? You know, what's the first step that I do to go track down information? Um, well, I have a library of all these articles on my on my hard drive but uh, or on the bookshelves and the books behind me. But if you don't have that and you're looking for information, let me walk through that and show you kind of what I do to um, to find this information. So, uh, you can start with Google if you want, um, uh, or you can go to like Turfgrass Information File, which is a very, a very useful tool as well. Turfgrass Information File from Michigan State is also also very very useful. Um, but if I wanted to know something about um, uh, iron and fertilizers or iron and soils, you might just type in solubility of iron and soils or something and just see what pops up and you can go through a variety of you know scan through this oh, wow okay well that might be the one right there the very first one i didn't even have to scan through it oh the this yeah yes <laughs> so it's the very first one but that doesn't usually happen <laughs> but um let me see if this is it i believe it was in this is 2008 but i think this is a reprint I don't really, I know it's in Journal of Plant Nutrition. Maybe it's not a reprint. Maybe it's an updated article, version of the article. I'm not sure. Um, I don't believe this is actually open access, meaning uh, it's free to to uh, to download. I'm pretty sure that you would have to be a subscriber to Journal of Plant Nutrition uh, in order to, to download and read this, I think. 
uh, I don't know. But you can also get access uh, through various libraries and um, through your universities if you have access through them as well. So um, it can sometimes be a challenge to get articles like this if they're behind paywalls, um, which which I'm pretty sure this is. What happens if I hit read this article? Yeah, so you're supposed to, they want you to pay for it. Um, so that can be a challenge, to be frank. I understand that you can't, you know, always just grab a hold of it and easily download it, but you can always read the abstract. And generally when I'm reading an article, I'll read the abstract first. And if I find it something interesting, then um, generally I'll cheat and I'll, I'll go all the way to the conclusions and read the conclusions. And then if it's something really fascinating in there or something I'm looking for, then I'll go back and I'll start working my way through the article and seeing how they did it, if they followed proper procedures and all these things. So, um, but if you just read the abstract, you can actually get a lot of information for free. Um, so if it just says the solubility of iron in soils is controlled by iron hydroxide and well-oxidized soils. Uh, and then this uh, ferrosic hydroxide and moderately oxidized soils. So what they're talking about, oxidized soils and reduced soils, is basically most agricultural soils of importance are um, aerated or oxidized. They're not underwater. So when they say reduced, generally from a layman's perspective, you can think of it as, is it saturated underwater for prolonged periods? That would be a reduced soil. Or is it an agricultural soil that's been tilled or aerated or planted or you know your yard or whatever? And those would be oxidized or moderately oxidized soils. Um, so that's what they mean by that. Um, they go through the various species. Let's see if we can find some key information that might be useful if you don't have to buy the article. Um, so let's look here, reduction of plant roots. So the reduction by plant roots and associated microorganisms is an important mechanism, soluble in Fe2. So Fe2 is the actual species of iron that the plant will take up. And what this is saying is the reduction by plant roots. What that's saying is plant roots, The when the iron comes into contact or it comes in proximity to the plant root, the plant root has the ability to reduce that environment, to um, make it an environment um, such that it would uh, it's called the redox potential, basically. So it's reducing the environment, making the iron that's in proximity to the root more soluble, changing it basically to Fe2. So um, when it so that's the reduction of plant roots and associated is an important mechanism for solubilizing F2. So the plant has the ability to reduce the environment in the rhizosphere or the area near the root. And that helps solubilize the, the Fe2, which is then taken up by the plant root. So here we go. I'm going to talk about this quite a bit when I show the article. Iron chelates aid in the movement of iron to plant roots, but they are not. But they but they are neither absorbed to any great extent, nor do they raise the activity of these iron species in solution. Okay, so you can kind of think of chelates as like a protected vehicle that's carrying, say your wife and kids or your husband or whoever from one point to another point and it's protecting them from the environment outside and then when it gets to the location say the airport it drops them off and then goes back and picks up other passengers okay you can kind of think of chelates like that it does not um, increase the activity of of these of the of the metal that it's carrying in the solution it doesn't increase that so um, it kind of becomes an important point um, when you kind of delve down deep into these issues, but to be effective, this is key here. To be effective, iron chelates must be stable in all, in soil environments. 
okay? Chemical relations are useful in predicting iron. So, it's, so forget that last sentence. So to be effective, iron chelates must be stable in soil environments. And the reason that's important is because many chelates sold in the turf market are technically chelates according to the APCO definition, the American Association of Plant Food Control Officials that defines various fertilizers. Uh, it, they are chelates. Let's, let's, let's take, for example, um, oh, I'm trying to think of like, um, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but glucoheptanate, for example. There you go. So glucoheptanate may be labeled as a chelate, but this sentence is critical. It says, to be effective iron chelates, it must be stable in the soil environment. And I'll show you in a future video a, a study that we did. We did a couple of studies with iron glucoheptanate, and it does not function as a chelate in the soil, although it does in lab, say, solutions. So that's sort of the practical importance of, of this sort of information is that just because it says chelate on the label, it does not mean it performs effectively as an iron chelate in the soil environment. And it's, you know, you, the next question I think would be like, how do you know? Um, well, I'll tell you in, in a future video, maybe the next video, we'll just go into that article. I think there's two articles I published on iron, uh, glucoheptanate, I believe it was. Uh, and we can go into that in a little bit more detail in those articles. But this article we're going to go over today is just a real general understanding of iron solubility and iron chelates, which is uh, an important part of, of the topic that I want to go into today in today's video is the chelations and why it's important. So this is how you find the article. This is at least you can read the abstract. If you don't, if you want more information, then you have to find the actual article or download it or pay for it or go to a library and you can access it in many ways through the library and so forth. If you're a member of certain turfgrass associations, they have um, complimentary access to the turfgrass information file, which if you're not familiar with turfgrass information file, um, you can just uh, Google it and it'll pop up. So this Turfgrass Information Center at Michigan State um, is you know, the, probably the most exhaustive library of, of turfgrass-related uh, articles and so forth. Uh, you can go to the public access here. You're still probably not going to be able to get access to the actual article, but you can search for articles. Like you know, I don't know if Lindsay's going to show up, but you can type in... Um, solubility of iron and soils and see what see what pops up but you can you you can see various things that'll pop up and so yeah they don't have they don't have that particular article but they do have some other articles i don't see Lindsay's name over here but um, you can find a lot of articles this way as well so if you're in this is specific to turf everything in here is going to be have a turf related slant into it so um, if you're in soybeans or something like that, this wouldn't be useful to you too much. But, um, but anyway, that's how you go find these articles. So let's um, open up the article and start taking a look at it. So if we look, if we look at the article, chemistry of iron and soils and its availability to plants. And yeah, we are, so it was 1982. I don't know why the other one said 2008. But anyway, as we go through here, um, what we'll generally do, or what I'll generally do, is read the abstract, which was this is what we read for free without paying for it, and you can at least get an idea what the article is about, and you can get a few of the conclusions or the you know the, the take-home messages that were published by the authors in the last paragraph or the last couple sentences of the abstract. Um, 
But then you can go into the introduction, explains why it's important, and all these other things. But what I want to do is, I wanna, I've already highlighted a few things in here I want to go through and kind of explain it. Um, when granular iron is applied to the soil, let's say it's iron sulfate, which is a common component of your fertilizer. And if you don't know what iron source is in your fertilizer, you just go to the fertilizer bag and um, look at the derived from statement. In fact, maybe I can, let's just do that. So let's just go to like, I don't know, turf grass fertilizer or something, see what pops up. Fer turf grass iron fertilizer. Lebanon turf. I'm looking for a label. So basically I'm just looking, here's a fifth, that's a liquid. So I'm not going to talk about liquids right now. I'm going to talk about granules. Let's just iron fertilizer label. Let's just do label. I'm not the best search. Ferramex a liquid. Uh, duh, 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 duh. 60 high iron. That's probably a liquid. 1200 is probably a liquid. And there's a lot of liquids. Let's see. Duh, duh, duh. That's probably a liquid. Let's see what the iron plus manganese. Well, I don't know if this is a liquid or not. It looks like, um, yeah, so designed for foliar application. That's okay, no problem. We'll just look at the the um, the label right here where the guarantee analysis is. It'll be the same on the granule. You're going to go to that, and you're going to see, it'll say chelated manganese, chelated iron. And then go down here, and you'll see the derived from. So ferrous sulfate, which is not chelated. Manganese sulfate, which is not chelated. And then they say citric acid. I'm assuming they're saying this is chelated because it contains citric acid, and citric acid, they're, they're claiming, I guess, is that it is a chelation. I would argue that that's a pretty poor definition of chelation. Let's see if we can find a, a better one. Seven iron, golf benchers. Let's see what they have on the label. I'm looking for, um, here we go. This should, this should be a grant. Here we go. Product label. So here's a product label for a granule. And we see water soluble iron. And you've gone here to the derived from, and we'll see ferrous sulfate, iron sucrate is another one. I don't see any chelated on there, but they'll say chelated EDTA or EDDHA or DTPA or something like that is usually what they'll have on there. And um, so that's how you'd know what type of chelate it is. So, or that's that's how you would know the quantity and so forth, and the, you know the chelation component. Anyway, so. One of the sentences at the very beginning is solubility of ferric oxides. Now, solubility of iron in the soils is is um, governed by the oxide species. It can be the amorphous, which is like the non-crystalline form of oxides, or it can be the oxide. It kind of depends on a number of factors. But in any case, it, it says here, if soluble iron salts, which a salt would be like iron sulfate, if they're added to well aerated soils, they quickly dissolve to precipitate into iron hydro amorphous iron hydroxide. So what that's saying is, if you apply an iron that's not chelated, it's going to rapidly precipitate into a non-soluble form of iron. And if it's not soluble, it is nearly impossible to be taken up in the plant. Probably not, not at all. In fact, let me look at this book. So this book, is another 
This book here is called The Environmental Chemistry of Soils. And again, if you're not a turf nerd or a soil nerd, don't bother buying it because it's unbelievably um, complicated and very detailed. But if you really want to know and you really uh, uh, got a lot of time on your hands, feel, feel free to buy it. But I think this was, in this book, there's another quote. I think it's on page 260. Yeah. So on this, in this book, you're going to see a, a graph like this, okay? Page 261. And what that is, is it's showing the various solubilities of um, iron at the various pHs and redox potentials. Anyway, um, Dr. McBride was ridiculously brilliant. And uh, he's the author of this book. And in here it says uh, iron oxide systems, and he's talking about various solubilities and so forth. And it says somewhere over here, it says um, the rate law of oxidation of dissolved iron too. And he gives that, he gives that uh, equation. But down here, yeah, uh, yeah, here it is. The sensitivity of, of oxidation rate to pH is evident from this equation, which he showed above. Then it says Fe2 persists for no more than a few minutes in aerated solutions of pH 7 or higher. So what that means is in any soil that you're really ever going to encounter, if it's aerated, if it's, if it's, and if it's not reduced, if it's not saturated, um, if it's above pH 7, then you can forget whatever iron you apply as a salt iron Fe2. It's going to, it's going to oxidize and, and not be available to the plant. We did a lot of work with that that I'll go into in a future video where um, we looked at a variety of soils and it really didn't make a difference what the pH was all the way down to the fives or sixes. None of the salts, uh, iron, iron sulfate, uh, resulted in any soluble iron above background levels. So you can rest assured that if you're applying iron sulfate, you're probably not going to get any benefit to, to that at all. And that's why chelates are very commonly used. So they are quickly dissolved and qu quickly precipitate into unavailable forms or insoluble forms of, of iron. So now if we scroll through here, you're going to see a lot of graphs that can be very confusing if you're, if you're not familiar with some of these things. It's not too critical for the point that I wanted to talk about today. But I, if you scroll down here, there's a couple of comments that I highlighted. I want to make sure that we kind of interpret these in a very easily understood way. And that is has to do uh, with the chelates and organics and so forth. So, so not present in the figure above are the natural organic matter complexes of iron, which are present in soil solution. The presence of such complexes raises total iron in solution and adds to its total solubility, mobility, and availability to plants. And then you see Lindsay, 1974. So when you see something like this, if you're not familiar with reading scientific literature, this is a, this is a citation. And you can go down to the bottom of the paper and you can find that citation. And you can go look up that citation and read that and show it, this person is not just saying that this happened. This person is citing a science article that they showed that that's what happens. Okay, they, they concluded that this is in, indeed true. Okay, such complexes need further study, da da da. The exudation of organic acids or other complexing agents by plants, and what they're talking about are siderophores or phytosiderophores that are a natural chelating compound that are exuded by the roots. 
by plants or other organisms in the root zone undoubtedly play an important role in the increase in the total iron solubility in soil. So what this paragraph is saying is, is that um, the organic matter in the soil and the exudation of organic chelates from the roots themselves um, greatly increases the likelihood of taking up iron by the plant itself. So organic soils tend to be, um, uh, they, they, they don't tend to be deficient in iron. The plants don't tend to show iron deficiencies when they're in organic soils. Um, and even if the organic soil isn't um, to the extent needed to reduce iron uh, deficiencies, the exudation of organic acids by the roots themselves can often help alleviate that deficiency. So the plant um, can, can do that on its own. They, they, they exude or they reduce the root, uh, the rhizosphere, they reduce the pH or they create a reduction, a reduced environment or they exude chelates. There's a variety of different um, strategies or, uh, to, to reduce uh, or to increase the solubility of iron around the root. Okay, so that's a natural ability that the plant provides. Now we get down to the fun part, which is, there's this, this article here is mainly about soybeans. But this article right here, so it's it's likely, or this figure right here, it's likely that you will have seen a figure like this or similar figure to this. Uh, but I want to explain why this is important to you if you're outside plant fertilizer. Um, if, you're, what, if you're not able to watch this and you're listening to it, what this is is it's a graph showing the percent of chelate with iron uh, at different pHs. And it has... Uh, four or five different P, uh, uh, iron uh, chelate sources on this graph. Now, if you're using a, a product like EDT, EDDHA, EDDHA, for practical purposes, is not really affected by pH, meaning, I mean, it is, but it's not really affected within the pH ranges we're ever really going to deal with. So, um, what that means is if you're using EDDHA, then it really doesn't matter too much what the pH of the soil is. Um, I would argue it does, but practically speaking, it doesn't really matter. Um, you're going to have some solubility of the metal that that's carrying. In this case, we're talking about iron. So EDDHA uh, is, is the chelate that you'd want to use if you have extremely high pHs. Um, it provides solubility of the iron. It doesn't mean that you're going to see a plant response to it, <laughs> but the solubility of iron in the soil will be increased. That's a whole nother, whole nother matter. It has to do with um, dosages and things like that. Now, the next one more common to us is DTPA. Okay, and this is why I want to show this. DTPA, and the next one to the left of that is EDTA, which is probably the one that everybody's heard of, EDTA. Those two are only useful at increasing the solubility of iron if the pH of the soil is below a certain threshold. So for DTPA, if you're dealing with pHs in the sevens or, or higher, say seven and a half to eight or higher, you'll see on this graph, then there's no point in using DTPA. It's not going to enhance the solubility of iron um, hardly at all. If you're below those pH ranges, then the DP, DTPA might be useful. And this is why it's important if you're having iron deficiency to not just go buy iron chelate. You actually would probably want to do a soil sample to see what the pH of your soil is prior to going out and spending a bunch of money on a chelate that will have no influence and no benefit to you at all if, if, you, if the pH is 7 or 8. It's not going to really help at all. 
So, and the same thing goes for EDTA. So the, the pH threshold of the EDTA is really seven. So, so if, if DTPA is say eight or above, I said, I think I said seven or above earlier. So if it's DTPA and the pH is eight or above, then forget about it. If it's EDTA and the pH is seven or greater, then again, it's useless. So people will sometimes see deficient, you know, or uh, ornamental plants or turf grasses, and they'll go out and throw EDT on, EDTA on there, and they don't even know the pH of the soil. Well, if the pH of the soil is 7 or 7.5, it's useless. There's no point in putting out the EDTA. It's only when the pH is much lower, and it's just coincidental or ironic that the lower the pH, the less likely you're going to run into an iron deficiency. So when you get down to the pH ranges where EDTA is effective, you start approaching the pH ranges where iron deficiencies don't generally occur. So I'm saying all that to say this, you need to know the pH of the soil if you have, if you're planning on applying iron chelates, because that is what's going to determine whether or not that iron chelate is the right choice or if it's going to be effective or not. This all has to do with granular applied iron. It has nothing to do with foliar applied iron. Okay. When it comes to these sorts of chelates, why are they ineffective and so forth? Well, calcium-2 plays a dominant role in di displacing the iron from the chelating agent. So what happens is the chelate goes into the soil solution and it has iron in it, right? It has iron in the, in, the, in the chelation complex. But it's not just going to sit there. It's constantly in competition with other cations. And in the case of higher pH soils where calcium-2 is more soluble than lower pH soil, Calcium-2 is the ion that uh, competes with it the most, and it can displace the iron that's in the chelate. So that's why these chelates generally become less effective at higher pHs. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is iron is displaced by uh, these various ones. So here's the, here's the critical ranges, really. So if it's EGTA, which I've never even used, is 5.5. EDTA is above 6.7. So anything above 6.7, so 7 is useless. And then DTPA is anything above 7.7. .7. So again, the ranges that I spoke of earlier are generally in the ballpark of what this paragraph states. And then as you read through these articles and you're looking for something else or you're looking for something on this article, you can always scroll down. Oh, here's You can always scroll down to the conclusions. Before we get to the conclusions, let, let me explain how the, the car analogy I used earlier where the chelate is like a, like a transportation mechanism for the, the metal that it's carrying. The driving force that enables chelating agents to function in the vicinity of the plant roots is the release of hydrogen or electrons or an electron and the uptake of iron. Okay, so what's happening in the, in the proximity of the root is the soil irons here, iron chelates here. What iron chelate will do is the iron chelate will come into proximity of the root, come into the rhizosphere. The iron will be released from the chelate as a result of the reduction in this close, close zone, the rhizosphere, by the plant or the exudation of hydrogen ions, lowering the pH. The, the iron will be released from the chelate the iron it will convert into Fe2, which you see going into the plant here, okay? And then the chelate will go back out into the soil. And if, and if it's in the proximity or in the, if the soil conditions are right where this, there's soluble iron in the soil, then it will bind the soil iron and continue that cycle to some degree. Okay, eventually the chelate's going to get broken down. But, uh, oh, I take that back. The chelate's not going to get broken. Eventually the chelate's going to, uh, to find other metals. I misspoke there, sorry. 
eventually chelate's going to find other metals and it won't always find iron and so forth. But as long as there's uh, this solubility in the root zone, this is kind of how it works. It just takes iron, delivers it to the root, and then cycles back out. That's sort of how the, you know, the chelate functions. Now, in, in high pH soils, when, when it releases the iron, you can see how well the chelate is now available to take a cation. This is where calcium and magnesium and all these other metals, manganese and all these things, might replace the iron in the chelate. And then, therefore, at that point, it wouldn't be useful as an iron chelate at that point. Anyway, um, so that's kind of how it works. So then you can start going down to the conclusion. So if you just want to do one thing, you can read the abstract. Then you can scroll down to the conclusions if you just want to be, you know, <laughs> quick and simple about it and kind of get the highlights. And the highlights of that are the soil iron is less soluble than freshly precipitated iron oxide, but more soluble than common crystal forms of, of ferric oxide. So what that's saying is, is that the, the compounds of iron that have been applied and are in the process of oxidation, but you not that have not fully oxidized, meaning soil iron. They haven't fully formed into a to a mineral like gertite or hematite or something like that. I'm sorry, uh, hematite. Uh, those forms of iron are more soluble than the soil iron itself, and the the, the chemistry in iron, of iron and soils is unbelievably complex. Okay, but it's dictated by the soil iron and the oxide species and so forth in the in the soil. Uh, that's what that says. So. The highlights here are chelating agents are only beneficial in increasing iron availability to plants if they are sufficiently stable to retain iron in chemical environment, environment of soil, in the chemical environment of soils. Stability constants can be used to predict their stability. I didn't go into stability constants, but, um, but what that's saying is they are very useful, but only if they're stable. And if pH is above 7, EDTA and DTPA are not stable. They will not be effective and I'll, I'll show you in a future article even at those pHs they weren't that effective so and they're not even that soluble they don't maintain iron solubility very long at all even at those pHs or below those pHs it doesn't last forever um, so don't don't be deluded and think that I'm gonna apply this and I'm gonna be good for a month or two months that doesn't happen and I'm gonna show you in a future video exactly what I mean by that and then chelating agents do not increase the activity of iron or iron 2 but they increase the concentration of chelated iron. Okay, so chelated iron diffuses to the root where the chelate dissociates. Fe2 is reduced to Fe, I'm sorry, Fe3 is reduced to Fe2, and Fe2 is absorbed by the root. The chelating agent diffuses away to become resaturated with iron from the soil. So that's kind of how that cycle works. I apologize for misspeaking a few times. Hopefully I didn't make too many things, uh, too many people confused. But that's this article. I could go into great depth with other articles right now, but I'm going to save that for future videos. So um, look for maybe one article, one video a week, maybe. We'll see what happens. Um, but that's that's my hope to um, that's my hope to maybe provide some insight into these fairly complicated scientific articles. I don't, I don't know if I helped or not. <laughs> maybe I made it more complicated. I don't know. Uh, but at the end of the day granular iron is almost almost entirely useless it doesn't really help turf grass at all there are clearly um cases in agronomy and agriculture where the application of iron does increase yields there's no question um, but in turf grass it's it's very limited the iron granular iron is very limited foliar iron is different we can talk about foliar iron in a future video but granular iron is I don't see any point in applying it. There's a really good 
argument to be made to to not apply any granular iron, even if it's chelated, because even if it is chelated, you still have to apply the right quantity to get the response. And I use this analogy quite frequently where it's kind of like Tylenol, where you take two Tylenol to cure your headache. But if you take like, you know, a very, very small granular or a scraping of a Tylenol pill and you take that, it's not going to do anything probably. Said so you didn't take enough of it. It didn't mean it doesn't work. It just didn't. Just means that you didn't take the right dosage to get, you know, the response you're looking for. And the same things with chelated iron. You have to get the right amount of pounds on the ground to get the response you're, that you, you desire. And oftentimes that's uh, cost prohibitive. To get that much chelate on the ground uh, is generally not in everybody's um, ability to to pay for. So. Um, We'll talk about how to alleviate iron deficiencies, um, which is primarily foliar. Um, but when it comes to this article and granular iron and the sol solubility of iron in soils, um, that's the take-home message is chelates help, but only if, if it's at the right pH and, you, and you're using the right chelate for that. And I'll add to that that even if it is that, you need to write, apply the right amount. And we'll, we'll talk about that in the future. So with that, I just want to say thanks if you watched this video. Uh, hope, hopefully it helped. If it did, leave me a note. If it didn't, leave me a note in the, in the comments. <laughs> let, let me know what, what you think. I'll be happy to read the comments and try to try to tailor future videos to, you know, whatever whatever you'd, you'd like to see and, you know, exp help basically help explain it in a way that is more useful to you. So if it's not useful, please let me know. I'd, I'd like to pro provide content that is is useful to to turf managers and homeowners, uh, and, and I'll, I'll do what I can to make that happen. Thanks a bunch. We'll see you next time.